you're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, Reverend Annie Bullard brought us a great message about the healing at the pool at Bethesda in her sermon titled, Leave It. Let's check it out. Oh, you guys are the best. You really are the best. Um, What about Andy and the Morocco baby bottles? (laughs) What was that all about? I'm totally going to harass him for that for a while. The Moroccan baby bottles. Um, It is an absolute privilege and a pleasure to be here with you today. I do want to tell you that as I was putting together the message, it was one of those messages where I was getting like wonked right between the eyes. So uh, this message is for me. (laughs) So I'm hoping to preach it with power. Um, But before we get to the word, I just want to remind us about who Father Father God is and who Jesus is. They're to be described as love. God our Father is merciful and gracious. The Word of God says that Father God is slow to anger and rich in love. And this is something that I have to remember on a regular basis, and I'm hoping that I'm not alone in that. This weekend, or this past week, as I was in the Word, I was reminded that, yes, sometimes God is provoked to anger, but you don't read in the Word of God that He's provoked to love, because God is love. So I hope, yes, I hope that's good news. If one claps, you know. We all got to clap. So God is love. He's slow to anger, rich in love. He is merciful and gracious. And then Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly or gentle and humble. And so as we get into the word today, if you are hit between the eyes like I was this past week or so putting this together, I want you to keep that first and foremost in your mind that God loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you, not because of what you've done, not because of where you've been. He loves you. And so if you feel convicted today, if you feel challenged, today, if you're like, all right, got to flip over that pancake, Um, whatever that means, Uh, you got to flip over that pancake, you can use it if you want to. Um, If you feel like it's time to make a change, know that it is doused in love, okay? Can we agree on that this morning? You are loved. God is love. Yeah. Yes. All right, so we're going to get right away uh, to the word. My message today is entitled, Leave It. In fact, can we all say that? Leave It. One more time. Leave It. Woo. That was kind of fun. All right, so leave it. We're actually going to be jumping into Scripture in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to be reading it from the NIV. It's going to be portrayed. You can read along with me. And we're going to be talking about the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So let's get to it and do it. You ready? Three of us are ready. All right, let's go. (laughs) Okay, so the word of God, the healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. 
They asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we want to thank you for a wonderful opportunity to worship you this morning, to come together with our brothers and sisters and be able to worship you because you're worth it all the time, whether we're on mountaintop moments or whether we're in valleys, you're worth it because you're worth it. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us would be available. Lord, give us ears to hear whatever it is that you want to speak to us today. And we just want to say, God, we're up for the challenge because we know it's doused in love. We thank you for your great love for us, that it's not contingent upon who we are, but contingent upon who Christ is. We love you, Lord. Let us learn from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to get a little nitty-gritty before we move on to the challenge that hopefully we will all be able to receive from the Word today. Are you ready? Five of us. All right. So um, first of all, Bethesda is made up of two words. The first word, Baeth, means a house. And then the second word is Hesed, which means God's loving kindness. Bethesda, the house of God's loving kindness. Now, with archaeological evidence, the ruins of the Pool of Bethesda has been found, and there is a southern basin and a northern basin. The southern basin features a, a lot of uh, broad steps, which served as a mikveh, which would have been a uh, bath that would have been used for ritual immersions in Judaism for ritual purity before they would enter the temple. There would be a cleansing, and the water would have to be kosher. And what that would mean is that it could it couldn't be stagnant water. It had to be replenished. And so the northern basin was a larger pool that would continually fill the southern pool. And the belief back then was that the people thought that the bubbles in the pool were for healing purposes. So they would see, and they would believe that there was an angel that was stirring up the waters and that the first person that would dive in would receive their healing. Now, this is kind of interesting. John 5, 4 is omitted from many manuscripts. In fact, if you watched as we were reading today, you would have seen that John 5, 4 was omitted, which I thought was very interesting. So in digging in, uh, there are scholars who make a career out of comparing manuscripts, and they've discovered that in roughly two dozen manuscripts, scribes put an asterisk next to John 5, 4. And what that would mean is that they would be warning the next scribe who would copy the manuscript that this was most likely not original text. To top it all off, four of the last five Greek words that are used in John 5.4 aren't found anywhere else in John's writings, which would suggest that John 5.4 did not belong in the New Testament, which explains my, why many modern translations don't include John 5.4. Interesting. So why would verse 4 have been omitted from the, the New Testament? Well, it's not because we don't believe in angels. I mean, angels were heavily involved throughout the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus' birth. Um, it's not that. By excluding popular belief about the angels stirring the water up to bring bubbles for healing, John focuses his readers on the main character, who is Jesus. 
So regardless of the accuracy of an angel coming to stir up the waters that would bring healing properties, we see many people putting their focus on the bubbles. They're there lying around, um, whether they're afflicted from one injury or one issue or another, they're there waiting to see the bubbles. That's where they have their hope, on the bubbles that would come up at the pool, including the man who had been lame for 38 years. Day after miserable day, this individual would wait. These individuals would wait to see the bubbling springs come up, hoping that they would be the first ones in the water. So that was this guy's life, his one and only life, his existence. Now, Jesus engaged in divine appointments wherever he traveled. Wherever Father led him, Jesus would go all the way to the cross. So on this particular portion of scripture, this afternoon in particular, Jesus was on his way to a Jewish festival. And he passes through the pool of Bethesda and he sees the paralytic man. And what I love about this, for me, like a lot of times when I read scripture, I'm like, God, what do you have in this for me? Let me not just read this as a check off because I'm doing my devotions, but God, what do you have for me today? And as I read that bit, I, I find great encouragement as I personally have been waiting with an affliction of sorts for decades, and I'm encouraged that the Lord sees me. And so I want you to be encouraged today if you've been afflicted with one thing or another for a number of years or a number of months or a number of days, I want you to be encouraged this morning that the Lord sees you. He sees you. And so Jesus, on his way to the festival, meandering through the pool of Bethesda has an encounter with this individual. He sees him. And Jesus asks the man an unusual question, a question that really digs down into the man's intentions. And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And now, if I'm reading the scripture, like the very next thought to me would be like, heck yes, I want to get well. Yes, are you the one that's going to bring me to the bubbles? Yes, I want to be made well. But that's not what we see in scripture. And this is where I want each and every one of us to pause today and allow scripture to speak to you in your personal situation, okay? Let the living word speak to you this morning. Do you want to get well? And that seems like a weird question. I mean, of course you would want to get well. Of course I want to get well. Of course you want to get well. But the man's response is interesting, and it's not what I would expect. The man possessed little hope that he could answer Jesus' question directly. Instead, he replies with a statement that revealed a deeper and more painful burden than the man's affliction, than the man's need for physical healing. The man feels alone without any hope of the one and only answer, the one and only avenue that he can see available for his healing. And this is what he says. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And he responds, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Another version prefaces his response with, I can't, for I have no one to help me. Do you want to be made well? I can't, no one's here to help me. Now we know what happens from here. Jesus tells him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man's instantly healed. He picks up his mat. The religious leaders get a little bit bent out of shape. So Christ, all right, Nasser, let's go, Nasser. I actually asked Nasser, Nasser, you're going to be on camera. You got to bring your claps, man. Um, <laughs> we love Nasser. Um, so what can we learn from this bit of scripture today? 
Christ's question, not only to the lame man, but to us, do you want to be made well? Now, looking up in the Greek, you can also take this question to mean, do you want to become healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually? Do you want to be made well? The question was directed at an individual who needed a physical healing. He was physically unwell, but I really believe that he was mentally ailing as well. No one was there to help him to the one and only hope that he had to be made well miraculously in the bubbling water. So we're going to look at three takeaways today from this bit of scripture. Our first point is going to be, if only. Our second point is obey. And our third point is don't miss the miracle. So our first point today, if only. Now the lame man is despondent. If I could only get to the bubbles. Do you want to be made well? If I could only get to the bubbles. And I wonder about our if onlys this morning. This is where it might go right between the eyes, and I apologize. This is where I got hit. What's your if only? If only they would straighten out, I'd be made well. If only I had more money coming in, I'd be made well. If only they would apologize, my soul would be well. If only the diagnosis would go away, I would be made well. If only I'd fall in love, I would be made well. If only. And these are big if onlys. I get it. The paralytic was made well physically, which is a huge cause for celebration. But what about the attitudes? And this is what I want to focus on today. What about the attitudes if the healing doesn't come or the breakthrough doesn't come in the way that we think is necessary? For the paralytic man, it was the bubbling waters. What are your bubbling waters today in this season of your life? I've got some. And I can get an attitude over them. So there are two women that come to my mind when we talk about being made well in the middle of affliction. One of them is in our world and one of them is in our midst. Joni Erickson Tata was paralyzed at the age of 17. She was in a diving accident. And while she was in the hospital, she had a friend that came and sat down on the bed beside her and she read the scripture that we're reading today from John chapter 5. And Joni said to her, listen, I cannot go without using my limbs for three days, let alone 30 years. And then she says, God, I cannot be like the man at the pool of Bethesda. You have to reach out and touch me. I cannot live like this. But Joni's prayer for a miracle seemed to go unanswered. And then 30 years later, she went for a tour of Jerusalem and she turned the corner with her husband pushing her in her wheelchair and she came face to face with the pool of Bethesda. And it was in that moment that she became overwhelmed with emotion and she says this, Jesus did not pass me by. He didn't overlook me. He answered my prayer. He said no. And then came an astonishing confession. She said, and I'm glad. A no answer has purged sin from my life. It's strengthened my commitment to him. It's forced me to depend on grace. It has bound me with other believers. It has produced discernment, fostered sensitivity, disciplined my mind, taught me to spend my time wisely, stretched out my hope, made me know Christ better, helped me long for truth, led me to repentance, goaded me to give thanks in times of sorrow, increased my faith, and strengthened my character. Being yes... She said, being in this wheelchair has meant knowing him better, feeling his strength every day. 
Now, Joni is an evangelical Christian author, she's an artist, she's a radio host, and she's the founder of Joni and Friends, which accelerates Christian ministry in our disabled communities. Joni has not healed, been healed of the affliction that she initially had hoped she'd be healed from, but Joni has been made well. And then we have a woman in our midst. Her name is Karen Palmasano. In fact, today is her birthday. Everybody say happy birthday, Karen. She's all the way back there in the back. Just give her a wave. Happy birthday, Karen. We love you. You're an absolute inspiration to us. Yeah. She says thank you. She's so cute. Um, so my friend Karen lost use of her hands and arms, and she has limited use of her legs. Oh, this makes me super emotional. I mean, think of all the things that you do with your hands, even that you're doing right now. She can't even comb her own hair without the help of others. Karen was 38 when the symptoms started, and she is 60 years old today. She was raising three children when the symptoms started to take place. Karen's believing for a full healing, but in the meantime, she does not let it stop her, and I would call Karen Palmasano a living legend. I asked Karen for her thoughts on being made well, and this is what Karen had to say. Experiencing these physical limitations has pretty much forced me to focus on my spiritual well-being, where I probably would have been less likely to if this hadn't been my experience. Frank, which is her husband, made a comment after we went to our first healing service. Now, I'm going to get back to her words in a minute, but her first healing, healing service that she went to, she couldn't even lift her head. She had lost the ability to raise her head, and in that healing service, she felt a tingling, and God raised her chin, which I believe he gave her a dignity. She said that Frank, her husband, had made a comment after that service, and he said, if it happens too quickly, we might not learn our lessons. She says that he doesn't remember saying it, but she said she will never forget it. She says, I know God doesn't cause any kind of illness, but he does work in our lives through it. One of the many verses I focus on is Isaiah 48.10. She says, God refines us in the furnace of affliction. And like the man born blind, it was not because of his or his parents' sin, but for God's glory. That was my prayer, she says, before I knew what was going on. Whatever happens, God, glorify yourself in this. And today, Karen leads Bible study. She encourages people every day. She supports local ministry. And listen to this. She doesn't have use of her hands or her arms, but she is the VP of public relations of a Glow Syracuse where she handles their Facebook page, their promotional emails, and creates their flyers. Rock star. So Karen believes fully that she will be healed on this side of eternity, so much so that she actually says, oh, I'm healed. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. But here's the thing, she's not sitting there waiting. She, is, she has one life to live and she's living it. So I want all of us to consider two pointed questions in regard to that thing in our life that bring on paralysis. And maybe it's not being in a wheelchair. I have highlighted three people today who have, phys who have physically been afflicted. But maybe it's something else in your life that has caused you to be paralyzed emotionally or spiritually. And that's what I want to address right now. So what part of your paralysis is your fault? 
And I'm not talking about the affliction and I'm not talking about the situation. I'm talking about your attitude. Karen and Joni have a choice every day what attitude that they will have. They will not be defined by their limitations. So I'm going to ask all of us today, have you allowed a supposed limitation to define you? What if God's answer was no? Or what if it's not yet to the physical thing that's got you messed up? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be brought to wholeness in your surrendered mind? Will you allow God to refine you as Karen quotes Isaiah in the furnace of affliction? Don't allow yourself to become stuck in a pattern of lame excuses about why you can't move forward. And when I wrote that on the page, I sat there in the corner of my couch and I thought, oh Lord, you're speaking to me. So if you just got hit between the eyes, you are not alone. Do you want to be made well? The paralytic made that bathhouse his home, a miserable and lonely existence day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Now, the Bible doesn't say that it was his home, but if that was the man's only hope of moving forward, I believe he spent quite a bit of time there. In fact, some versions call that mat his bed. So I wonder, was, the man's, was it the man's own fault that he had no one? Had he driven every possible helper away with a defeatist attitude, with cynicism, or simply with his overwhelming neediness? Maybe over the years, helpers had just dropped off as they realized there was no point in wasting their time because maybe he'd refu they'd refused to enable the man's delusional hope of the bubbles any longer. So let's be honest today. What is your lame excuse? Why won't you forgive and walk in freedom? Why won't you let it go and let God deal with it? Why won't you lay it down and receive God's best for you? And why have you accepted limitations as this far and no further? Yeah. I wonder if the lame man's life had become comfortable after these 38 years, which seems strange to say, because I'm certain it was miserable, but sometimes if we've made our home, if we've laid down our mat in a certain situation, it becomes almost a comfortable and safe place. So let's take our if-onlys to Jesus and be made well. Our second point today is obey. Now, we don't like the word obey, do we? I mean, even if I hear it, I'm kind of like, mm, ah, no. Uh, so we're so weird as human beings. Um, however, obeying Jesus brings freedom. I don't know why we like drag our feet sometimes so long because obeying Jesus brings freedom. Leave your life of sickness and vices behind. Leave it. Do you want to be healed? Pick up your mat and walk. A word from Jesus is what the paralytic needed. And a word from Jesus is what we need. And it's right here, available richly and fully in the Word of God. John 5, 8 through 9, Jesus says, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. At once he took up his bed and walked. The lame man obeyed. After 38 years of his mind rut of trying to get to the bubbles, no one can help me to the bubbles, he picked up his mat and walked. Jesus came and he changed everything. So by inviting Jesus into our situation, inviting that Jesus, do you want to be made well? His question, if we invite it right into our situation, right now, literally, what does pick up your mat and walk look like for you? As I mentioned, I'm sure those steps in the bathhouse, though miserable, had become like home because it was where he lived. Jesus healed him, he got up, and he walked. 
So here's the thing. He did have a choice. He could have stayed on his mat. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but some of us here have chosen to stay on our mat, even though we've been given opportunity with all the tools needed to move forward in health. We've chosen to stay on our mat, our stained, stinky, lifeless, miserable mat. And I have to ask all of us this morning, what are you looking for? What are the bubbles in your life that you're focused on instead of heeding the direction that the Lord has given you? Jesus could have said to the lame man simply, get up and walk. But the word of God tells us that he asked him to take his mat. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because he is not to go back there. He was supposed to take up his mat, his bed, and walk away because there wasn't supposed to be a place for him to go back to anymore. You know, I, I almost see that mikvah, that bathhouse, as having his, like he had a niche right there near one of the colonnades, right? Like, don't go there. That's the, 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 he's been there 38 years. He's, that's his spot. Jesus told him to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. And so what is that thing that you've been laying on that you've been unwilling to obey what God's asking you to do? Get up, take your mat, and walk. Leave it. Leave it there. The pool of Bethesda, the cripple's home of affliction, became the house of God's loving kindness. And so will you allow the same to be done with your obedience? Obey, comply, heed, listen, abide by, yield to the direction that God has given you. Is he giving you direction to forgive? Is he giving you direction to love well? Is he giving you direction to let it go? Is it to stop? Is it to go? Is it to shut up? Is it to speak up? Is it to leave? Is it to stay? Obey. Pick up your mat and leave it. And then our third point today is don't miss the miracle. And we can't move beyond this bit of scripture with just looking, taking a peek at one bit that I find so like crazy and alarming all at the same time. Verses 9 and 10. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who, who had been healed, is it, the, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. In response to the religious leaders, um, you know, which I find like the religious leaders completely missed the miracle. It's so ridiculous that I, I would almost laugh at it, except it's not funny. It's sad. A man of 38 years lame was a walking and they were chastising him because he was carrying the mat that he laid on. They completely missed the miracle. So in your religiosity, do you miss the miracle? By the way, somebody over there, someone just walked up to your door. <laughs> I wish I could help myself. I just can't sometimes. Um, so in your religiosity, do you miss the miracle? And I believe um, the miracle was performed by Jesus on the Sabbath on purpose. The Sabbath was a holy day of rest. It was given in the Old Testament to God's people as a guide to live by. It had become, though, a staunch religious rule instead of a gift of rest for God's people. We see in Mark a similar response as, as Jesus performs a miracle. And we see religious people all bent out of shape. They couldn't handle it. Jesus responds in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Stiff religiosity had got them all twisted up. The miracle at the pool could have happened on another day and it wouldn't have caused a stir. It wouldn't have violated a religious rule. But Jesus did it on purpose. And I see two points in regard to religious men who question the mat-carrying miracle. 
The first one is these individuals chose to look upon Christ as just a mere man. That even though there were convincing proofs of it, they were resolved that they would never own Jesus as the Son of God. They were bent on that. And then the second point is they were determined to look upon him as despicable and take it for granted that he who performed a major miracle and encouraged the man to carry his bed was actually a delinquent and they decided to prosecute him. Now there are some additional verses that I haven't read yet out of John 5. It's the authority of the Son. John 5 verses 16 through 18. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself an equal with God. And so I have to ask all of us today, do you recognize Jesus Christ as the authority? Do you recognize Jesus as your authority? Or will you push him away, pushing away his authority and trading it for what you think you know? Will you kill any possibility of Jesus operating in your life? And then I just have to ask, how is that working out for you? I'm going to wrap up with an interesting fact. In my studies for this message, I realized that the last day of this festival that Jesus was going to was uh, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated God's presence, his protection, and his provision for the Israelites as they were set free of bondage and slavery in the exodus from Egypt. And the celebrations on this day pointed toward a future time of messianic hope and salvation. There was especially seen a water libation ceremony. And during this ceremony, the temple priests would go, they would take golden pitchers and they would go out and they would gather water from the pool of Shalom, which was very similar to the pool of Bethesda. And then they would bring it back and they would pour out over the temple. And the pouring out of the water expressed Israel's hope for a future rain to come, for provision, for an abundant crop. It was a desperate cry that God would pour himself out. And then, so beautiful, Jesus stood there watching the ceremony, and he says in a very loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Christ's invitation to the people echoed the healing that he had provided to the paralytic man just days before. The man had found his helper at the pool of Bethesda, the only one who could provide his healing, the only one who could provide living water, the source of all wholeness and life. Living water, a trade for mere bubbles. And Jesus' invitation is still available to us today. The lame man laid there for 38 years. And Deuteronomy tells us of Israel walking and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It was a jaunt that should have taken 11 days. How do you get that lost? You know, really? I really wonder that a lot. And then I feel like the Lord's like, well, look at your own life. Okay. Um, We have one life to live, my friends. We have one life to live. So let's ask ourselves, will we be like the generation who wandered, like the generation for 40 years? They could have been in the promised land 11 days, but instead they wandered for 40 years. Or will we be like the generation of Caleb and Joshua who entered the promised land? 
Will I choose Jesus, the living water that I'm thirsty for? Will I obey him? Do I desire to be made well? Will I stay on my mat? Will I wait for the bubbles? Or will I pick up my mat and will I follow him? Now, I have the privilege of being the director of 991. Uh, I believe these guys mentioned it a little while ago. It's a ministry where we go into strip clubs and we expose God's love to the sex workers and the individuals that we find there. And our prayer and our hope is that our interaction with them would be a brush up with Jesus. And then Holy Spirit would come and he would take that brush up and he would turn it into a relationship with the living God. We met a dancer uh, who went by the name of Lily about six years ago. And Lily had the worst backstory I ever heard. I don't even want to tell you what it was because I don't want to put those thoughts in your mind. But I will tell you this, that her parents are in prison for the rest of their lives for what they did to her. Okay. And so Lily glommed onto us and she loved to hear about Jesus and his love for her. And she would come to our Bible studies, she would come to our retreats and she'd worship the Lord with all her heart. And she actually called Jesus her man. It was the sweetest thing. But then she would go back to her mat, back to the clubs. It was comfortable for her there. Now, she worked for a real mean boss. He was a jerk. Now, don't look at me sideways, but there are a lot of bouncers and owners who are very kind and who are, in their minds, treating the girls well. Um, I know they're living in darkness. I've got a lot of grace for that because I believe a life that's living in darkness is simply a life that has possibility to be redeemed. So um, I do see that there are a lot of people who think they're doing well in the clubs, but this guy in particular was a complete jerk. And he used to call the dancers his worms or his maggots. And it really made my blood boil. Well, a few months ago, um, beautiful Lily made the decision that she had hit rock bottom, and she really did. There was, no, there was nothing left for her here, 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 no hope. And so she uh, decided, she said, I want to be made well, basically. And uh, so we, as a team, made a way to send her to a safe home. And she's been there uh, for the past few months. She's sober. She's beginning to heal from her wretched past. She's finding new life. Yes. It's pretty amazing. And team member Christine and I were allowed to go visit her. She could invite anyone and she chose us. We are her family now. And Christine and I went to go visit old name Lily. She's a few hours from here now, and she's in a safe home, and she's finding her transformation. And I reminded her early on when she called me one day, I said, I want you to remember that in the transformation of a butterfly, there's pain. I mean, first of all, you're going from a worm to a butterfly. But then in the midst of even escaping the cocoon, there is the wrestle and the struggle that a butterfly needs to have mature wings that it would take to cause the butterfly to take flight. And so Brandy remembered that. And she created a painting for 99.1. And it shows how she's choosing to fly. So our sweet friend took the painful and beautiful journey of picking up her mat and walking away, leaving the only life that she had ever known for a life of freedom in Christ. And I love how she chooses one of the verses. It's Mark chapter 8, verse 35, the New American Standard Bible. And it says this, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever wishes, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. Now, this is a dramatic true story, but I want to ask you this morning, do you want to be made well? 
leave it. Leave your religiosity, leave your lame excuses, leave your bubble searching, pick up your mat and walk. Be made well, regardless if your circumstances change or not. Be refined by the fire of affliction. Heed the words of Jesus, leave it and be made well. Thank you, God. I wonder if we could all bar our heads have a quiet moment. Allow the person next to you to have a private moment. I tell you guys all the time, I like to peek during prayer. Don't be an Annie, okay? Allow the person next to you, even if you are like so dying to peek, don't. Let this be a holy moment for them. And if you, like me, wrestle with the if onlys, if you, like me, wrestle with obedience, if you, like me, can miss the miracle because of what you think you know and in your religious behavior, with my eyes open, would you lift your hand and say, yeah, I can relate, I can relate. I've got, I got if only excuses, I have trouble making that step of obedience and I can miss it. I'm thankful to know that I'm in, I'm in a congregation where others are vulnerable ready to say, yeah, I, I need that help too. So let's pray. Father, I pray for those that have raised their hands and for those that would like to raise their hand, but they're just not quite ready because they're, maybe they're still a little ticked about their circumstances. But I pray, Father God, that right now, those of us that want to be made well, we want to be made well, whether or not there is breakthrough, we trust you. And I pray, Father, for courage. I pray for strength. I pray for a holy boldness to come upon each and every one of us to say, yes, Lord, I want to be made well. Would you take my one and only life and help me to live it excellently for you? And then with every head bowed and every eye closed, and this is for those in this space and also for those online as well. If you are here today and you have not received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, some of this is news to you, some of this seems foreign to you, but you're like, okay, I'm not quite sure, but I think I want it. I think I want it. And today is your day. It's very simple. It's just saying, Lord, I'm giving you, I'm giving you over the reins of my life. I'm saying, Auntie up, I'm not doing it well. I need you to lead and guide me. And if that's you, in this space today with no one looking around, would you raise your hand? Yes, I want to receive Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Yes, yes, I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you, God. And if you're online this morning, would you raise your hand today? Just click that button. I want to receive Christ. And then let's pray together. You know, God is a gentleman. He doesn't come where he's not invited. But if you've invited him in today, you have invited, you have invited on the greatest adventure of all times. And we celebrate with you. So we're all gonna take a minute to pray together. All heads by, bowed, all eyes closed. I almost said all heads bayed and all, I'm not even sure what that meant, but you know what I mean. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord and leader of my life. Help me to follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen.